that I think cutting edge talent, which is sort of those who can really do essentially architect level talent that understands sophisticated AI, I think that talent is always short. At the same time, I think the number of high quality teams and the talent within those companies that we are seeing today is actually surprising. It's actually positively surprising. Some very cutting edge work is getting done in India as well today. I think there was a time when there was a much larger lag between some of these competencies between, let's say, a US and India. I'm seeing that time lag actually to be much smaller today. Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Daily Tech Conversation, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs, and investors from around the world whose work has a bearing on India. I'm Hari Arakli, and my guest today is Alok Goyal, a partner who focuses on SaaS companies at Stellaris Venture Partners, an early-stage VC firm. In this episode, Alok talks about the opportunities and challenges for SaaS companies presented by the current downturn that many expect will last for a while. He also talks about how the Indian SaaS ecosystem is moving from me-too software to cutting-edge solutions. Alok, welcome to this podcast and thank you so much for making time for this. In the venture world and the startup world, of course, you all are a very well-known investment firm. For uh, maybe for the segment of the audience that may not be familiar with your work, you could perhaps give us a brief background about yourself as well as uh, Stellaris and we'll go from there. No, thank you so much, Harry, first of all, giving us the opportunity to be here on this podcast. Quick background, uh, I'll begin with my own and then sort of lean into the Stellaris background as well. My own background, I did my undergrad in the early 90s, attempted a PhD, which I never completed. But mm. thereafter, my career has been sort of spread across four phases. I started out as a developer. Uh, thereafter, spent time in the strategy consulting space for six years. Spent 10 years in different go-to-market roles in enterprise software thereafter in US and India. And then last almost 10 years, have been an investor uh, in early stage, uh, primarily focused on SaaS. I did some enterprise services also in my early days in investing, but basically software and services is what I've been focused on. Roughly five and a half years back is when Stellaris was born and I was part of the team that started uh, Stellaris as well. Um, we are an early stage fund, uh, Hari. Uh, we are agnostic in terms of the space within technology where we invest, mm. but we enter companies in seed and series A stage. Uh, have raised two funds. Our first fund was a 90 million fund and currently we are investing out of a 225 million fund that we raised last year. So... That's a quick nutshell uh, about us. Uh, very nice. So I had a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, the sure. first one was you all have recently, uh, I think, published a, a blog post, very relevant on what's happening because of the slowdown and how it's affecting SaaS companies. Uh, and, and, and you also spoke about some uh, findings which uh, surprised you a little bit. Maybe right. you can give us a bit of context and tell us about those findings and conclusions. Yeah, uh, uh, Hari, as you pointed out, it's been a bit counterintuitive what we are hearing from public SaaS companies versus at least what our gut would suggest. Mm. So recently, one of my colleagues and I, we did an exercise and the intent behind the exercise was that, look, every public company, when they announce their results, they also give an outlook towards the future. And either they will make the next quarter forecast or they will make the entire year forecast or sometimes both as well. Mm. And as you can imagine, Hari, 
all public companies, they are actually usually slightly on the conservative side while making these forecasts because the last thing they want to do is set an expectation with the street and not be able to meet those. Mm. So our assumption was that given that most people will be expecting a certain level of slowdown, there will be some cautious forecasts that will already be talked about. I, in fact, was in, uh, was in the Bay Area in early May and I felt that the sentiment was already very negative. Therefore, you can imagine the assumption is that if people are making these forecasts during the same period, they will be slightly muted in those forecasts. But we, so that we don't get biased by any single data point, we looked at large companies and large companies will be like Adobe, Salesforce, Workday, Oracle, Accenture, etc. And then we also looked at sort of the mid-market, like a New Relic, Altair, PagerDuty, etc. And we looked at both the next quarter forecast as well as their annual forecast. Surprisingly, in most cases, we are finding that if you were to look at, so we looked at the last three years guidance for the same quarter because there's always a little bit of seasonality in the software business. Mm. So for example, you will find that fourth quarters are usually very strong. First quarters are usually weak. Mm. So we wanted to, we want to take away that seasonality aspect. We looked at last three years for exactly the same quarter in terms of what their growth guidance was. Right. And we are finding that in most cases, growth guidance has actually gone up for the following quarter. Then mm. we said, fine. You know, while everybody is expecting a downturn, but it's not as if it has already happened yet. And maybe their pipelines are very strong and the next quarter will be fine. But if you look at annual forecasts, then the annual forecast will actually be weaker. Surprisingly, that is not the case either. Uh, we found the data to be very mixed and sort of more towards the positive side than towards the negative side. That's at least what we thought was surprising. And by the way, the other thing was that when we picked the mid-market companies, the mid-market company guidance was actually better compared to even the larger company guidance, which was also counterintuitive for me because usually what ends up happening is that when there is a negative sentiment in the market, there is always a bit of a flight to safety. And that mm -hmm. flight to safety means that you end up buying from bigger companies and smaller companies. Mm -hmm. But we are not seeing that borne out in the data that we collected. Now, I don't want to go too far in this, these predictions because mostly predictions being end up being wrong. But as I said, one, it was counterintuitive. But we are thinking of compiling the same data in one quarter time to see if things have changed substantially or not. But on the ground, as we speak to startups from India, I think we are beginning to at least see caution in the tone from a lot of SaaS CEOs in India today. Already. So about the uh, findings, which are slightly counterintuitive in terms of uh, growth projections, uh, give us a sense of uh, what you all arrived at in terms of conclusions on why uh, they are still talking about uh, fairly positive growth. What's, what explains that? I think what has happened is that world over, at least I feel, Hari, this is a phenomena that during COVID, many people were used, were forced to use technology. Maybe I should say that even if, even if they were thinking of using technology for many processes, COVID acted, acted as a catalyst or a trigger to actually accelerate those projects. Mm. And that trigger has actually continued so far. In fact, I feel, for example, particularly in the US, I still think very few people are going to offices. Right. There's a lot of work from home even today. And because of that, the pipelines for SaaS companies have been very strong. And because of that strength, I think we are see still seeing continued growth. At least that explains 
the next quarter forecast uh, from my perspective. Because there is a second element to it also, which is that even as there is downturn, the one positive perspective for SaaS companies is that people are forced to look at efficiency or people are forced to look at sort of making themselves more efficient. And one of the ways to make yourself efficient is by use of technology. And therefore, this thing goes both ways. That on one hand, people become conservative in buying or in making new capital expenditures. But on the other hand, they are also spending on technology to be able to achieve efficiencies, which they will otherwise not be able to achieve. Mm. So uh, there is a bit of a mixed impact there. And that's why we have not seen as much weakness in the market as we might have expected. And from the entrepreneur side, uh, you did say that now a degree of caution has set in. So what does that mean? What are they doing as a result? Where are they focusing their investments and efforts? And where are they trying to be really uh, careful? It's a great question, Hari. I think we have to differentiate between public companies versus private companies. Mm -hmm. Or rather more specifically, difference between those which are still burning cash versus those that are generating cash. Right. If you're still burning cash, one of the things that has changed is just the funding environment. And if you are a startup founder today, in the SaaS space, or for that matter, frankly, any other space also, you cannot take the next round or you can't have any guarantees on the next round today. Mm. And therefore, you are always faced with this difficult choice. You're saying that, look, a lot of people are talking about a possible downturn. Maybe there'll be reduction in revenues. Maybe there'll be higher burn. And I need to be cautious. That one side of it. The other part of you is saying that, look, I think that market for technology will continue to be strong. But if you have to make a choice between two different things, which is continue to be aggressive, but put yourself in that precarious situation where you don't have enough cash in the bank versus a situation where you still have cash and maybe you were not as aggressive as you could have been. I think a lot of startup founders will actually choose a ladder and that caution is setting in there for. I don't think people know that there is already an impact on their pipelines. But they are saying, what if there is an impact? And therefore, that caution is already setting. And therefore, by the way, there is another corollary to my statement. Mm -hmm. If you look at early stage SaaS startups, largely they sell to other startups. Mm. And that market is already seeing an impact. Mm. Sales cycles are already prolonging. People are questioning every dollar that they are spending. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle. As a large part of the world begins to expect a down, down cycle, it actually leads to a down cycle. So I was just, uh, you know, recently... You know, the, the IT services earnings have uh, begun to come in, as you know, TCS, uh, HCL, Mindtree, some of the company, well-known companies that have reported. And sort of by and large, the commentary seems to be that uh, you know, this move to the cloud is still a sort of a, a very big move. And because of that, there are a lot of opportunities, even though these companies have maybe taken a little bit of hit on their margins in order to keep growing and win uh, contracts and so on. Anyway, sorry for the longish preamble. Uh, I was just thinking from, from your perspective as an investor, in because of this big secular shift to the cloud, uh, what kind of trends and opportunities do you see in, this, in the world of SaaS? And maybe you could dive down into some specific areas, whether it's vertical SaaS or even much more specialized SaaS based on AI. What kind of opportunities are you seeing as an investor, as a VC investor? Yeah, uh, fair point, Ravi, uh, uh, Harib, because I think... Let's actually divide the world of large enterprise uh, versus versus the rest. And I think for all the digitization that the world has seen, actually, I would argue that a large part of the world is still actually pretty, pretty backward. Mm. There's just a 
ton of things that still need to be done. The the very basics, I think, still need to be done. I mean, I'll just give you a very random example. I will not name a bank that I work with, uh, but it's a global bank. And with that bank, they needed to change a small thing in my account, which is they want they needed to allow me to be able to use my credit card outside the country. Not mm-hmm. that big a change. I've been a customer with them for fifteen years. The mm. process took more than a week. <laughs> right now, by the way, I have nothing against the bank. Mm. I actually see that as an opportunity, Hari, in my opinion, mm. which basically tells me that even such large global banks and financial services usually are uh, one of the biggest spenders on digitization. But it tells me that even many of the basics, there is actually still plenty of opportunity. Mm. Right? But if I come to a different end of the spectrum, which is the bleeding edge world which is where startups get born. They are actually capturing or rather creating new trends. A few areas which are actually, at, uh, which we are excited about. One thing which you just referred to, Hari, is at least I feel if you look at the big waves of software and you know you can count it on your fingers of one hand, uh, uh, fingers of one hand, which is there was mainframe, there was minis, there was the client server wave, there was a three tier or what we call the dot com or the web wave. Mm. And then there was the cloud wave. By and large, there have been five major waves of enterprise software. And each of these waves has actually reinvented the entire landscape. There are some incumbents which have succeeded in transitioning to the next. Like I used to work for SAP. Their their growth really came in the client server way. But they were able to successfully navigate to the next one, which was the from client server to the the three-tier way. Mm. And now also to the cloud. Uh, But more often than not, a lot of new companies get created. Salesforce is a great example. In fact, I used to work for Siebel, which Mm. was the king of CRM. Mm. And Salesforce was a tiny, tiny company at that point in time. But look at what the cloud wave did to that market. Mm. Our belief is that the next big wave in the software market is actually the advent of AI. Our hypothesis or our thesis rather is that a lot of existing spaces will get reimagined, rethought, reinvented with the use of AI. Mm. Now, depending on the process you are talking of, in some cases, AI might be a very incremental thing to those processes. But in most other cases, I think it will be a step change to those processes. Mm. Just take customer support. I, I have sold a lot of customer support software, by the way, in my sales days. Mm. But a lot of customer support is shifting to chat. Mm lot of those chats are actually getting completely automated. For example, we are working with a, a chatbot company in our portfolio as well. Today, even for fairly complex support, they can achieve 70-80% automation. Mm. And those kinds of processes, at least we feel, are going to be fundamentally rethought across a large number of processes. And the way one thinks about building or writing AI software is actually quite different than regular software, even mm. though both are software. When you write an AI software, there is there is something that we call modeling. You're building AI models. Mm-hmm. You are still writing regular code. And you're also collecting a lot of data, cleaning that data, putting that data in a way that that can be utilized by those models. So there is also a data stream to those. Right. And therefore, there are three parallel tracks that you have to follow in building AI software. And therefore, we believe it's going to be a new class of software that's actually going to be created. A lot of those are already being created as we speak. And there are some offshoots to that as well, um, uh, Hari, which is that as one thinks about building AI applications, one will need MLOps, 
which is basically the tool sets that developers need to build these kinds of software, that stack is going to be rethought. Similarly, AI applications ultimately need data. Some of that data is going to come from within your enterprise. A lot of that is going to come from outside the enterprise. So we are also going to see a lot of data as a service providers as well. Mm -hmm. We had one in our portfolio called Slintel mm -hmm. uh, that was acquired by Sixth Sense last year, mm -hmm. but it was a classic data as a service companies. So we also believe, by the way, that the whole notion of BPO, as we see today, and India has been, India has benefited significantly over the last 25 years right. from BPO. But if you think about it, BPO is a highly repetitive work and anything that is highly repetitive, which humans are doing, at least we believe that most of that will get eaten by software eventually. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we will see transition of what we think of BPO today as well. But those are opportunities that are coming because of AI. I think that's one big bucket that we are, mm -hmm. we are looking at. I think the second very exciting thing from India is also the growth of what I call infrastructure software, infra and developer software, mm -hmm. which is that software which is not being used by classical business users like you and I, but which is being used by engineering teams, developers, IT people, right. etc. Mm. I would say for the first decade of India SaaS, while there were some companies that got created in that space also, I mean, Postman, Browser Stack, etc. being classical examples. But over the last 18 months, we have seen a significant shift hurry in mm. the number of infra and dev companies coming out of India. Mm. And mm. that I see is a very exciting trend as well. So I think we are, uh, I think that's sort of uh, another sort of big wave. Uh, you're right. I think vertical soft, vertical SaaS is another major theme that we are seeing. As software is penetrating higher and higher, and we are seeing software getting penetrated even to the solopreneur kind of uh, layers. Mm. We are finding that there are lots of micro verticals which are becoming large enough for them to be viable spaces for software companies to get created. And lots of these vertical SaaS companies are coming around the horizon as well. But those are the kinds of opportunities that we are very excited about. Briefly, can you talk about, uh, I mean, this is a little bit of stepping back and looking at all of this. What is it about AI as applied to SaaS that makes some of these companies really interesting? I mean, what is so different about how AI changes things versus, you know, traditionally how software has been done? See, classically, Hari, the difference is classically enterprise software as we know it was a way of automating what you already do. Mm. Think of ERP. What does it do? Whatever, whatever book entries that we were doing, it automates a lot of those things. Same thing for CRM, right? And a lot of other categories in software. Mm. It's a way of automating what humans do. However, software does not make judgment for you, right? Let me take an example now. Mm. Let's take a bank and let's think about a KYC process as you become a new customer to a bank, right? I'm sure if you go to a bank, Hari, they will ask you for your PAN card, maybe Aadhaar card, maybe some other document. Earlier, there was a time when all of these used to be completely paper-based. Then came the automation way, which is that they will scan these. As opposed to this being sent by post, ultimately these get scanned. Document management systems will send it to somebody in the back office. That human being in the back office will actually look at all these documents. They will verify. They will see whether your photographs match across each of these, whether your name is the same spelling across each of these documents, blah, blah, blah. And technology was supporting or automating part of what humans were doing. That allows them to do it more efficiently. But you could argue that if a human being is looking at scans of three different identity cards, 
and matching your photograph across these looking for the fact that your name is matching across each one of these why can a software not do the same thing it can mm. in fact not only can it do it it can actually do it better than a human can today and software is actually beginning to apply judgment as a human will they are basically becoming smarter or they are becoming intelligent in the past software was not intelligent but now we are talking of intelligent software mm. and that's where the difference comes and intelligence requires a lot of data and training that's the difference right how does a human learn you do the same task 100 times 1000 times you just become better at it and again i'm taking a very crude analogy uh, but the beauty of software is that you don't have to to take the same span of time to train you can t- take a lot of historical data and train these algorithms and you can make them very very smart for a large variety of use cases today how how does the the ecosystem look to you in india in terms of uh, availability of experienced talent in order to be able to apply the latest or, or some sort of the most sophisticated ai and build saas business models i would imagine on the funding side probably there is money but what are the other factors that need to kind of uh, make the ecosystem a little bit more complete how does it look to you in india hari i am actually positively surprised by the talent i'm seeing in india and again i'll answer your question in, in two different ways that i think cutting edge talent which is sort of those who can really do essentially architect level talent that understands sophisticated mm-hmm. ai i think that talent is always short at the same time mm-hmm. i think the number of high quality teams and the talent within those companies that we are seeing today is actually surprising it's actually positively surprising some very cutting edge work mm. is getting done in india as well today i think there was a time when there was a much larger lag between some of these competencies between let's say a us and india i'm seeing that time lag actually to be much smaller today okay maybe give us a couple of examples maybe some of these early movers that uh, stellarism have already invested in or founders that you have come across you know who are bringing this kind of experience so maybe uh, i'll give you one example uh, and you might think that this is a very crowded space but the reality is as you peel the onion you realize it is not but look at one area of ai which is one of the first ones that the world has attacked which is chatbots mm-hmm. right um when you are making a machine when a machine has to um machine has to have a chat with a human um ultimately for machine to be smart you want to narrow down the set of possibilities that can be answers so that you are right more often than not which means that you bound the problem quite a bit which is why you see a lot of chatbots being used in customer support because conversations are very repetitive where is my order can i cancel my order right can i change my payment instrument a lot of those very standard support kind of questions get that get asked and machine can answer that what happens however if you take those same conversations on the sales side can a chatbot sell to you now that's a far more difficult conversation mm-hmm. to be had mm-hmm. right by the way technology is still relatively primitive for all the number of chatbots that we have seen right. so far mm-hmm. we backed the team there are two founders uh, in a company called limechat mm-hmm. these are both it delhi graduates fairly young grads of it delhi and then one of them spent time at cmu in the us and the other one spent time at mit thereafter i think as sharp as human beings get these guys are building um are building essentially a conversational uh, commerce solution across the entire chain 
for marketing sales and support for e-commerce and digital brands mm. and they are able to create levels of accuracies hari that are actually never previously seen mm. and the reason they are able to do it is that the kinds of technologies which have been used in the past to create chatbots is very different from the newer framework that are actually coming around mm. and they are using very much what the best companies being created in the us would use as well today i think they have just that there is a democratization of capabilities today that was not seen in the past in that sense the founders in india have access to the same kinds of open source libraries and other kinds of talent that will be accessible to their us counterparts today you you mentioned of uh, cmu and mit uh, triggered the following question in the sense that uh, that is another factor or component of the ecosystem where we still have to develop quite a bit right i mean do you i know that stellaris and ifc did a fairly detailed report on uh, the ai saas companies sometime back i was just wondering whether you all uh, also had a chance to look at the academic research uh, ecosystem in india that can spawn some really cutting edge uh, startups uh, where research gets translated into commercial ideas Uh, how does that look to you in india from from a even from a ai slash saas perspective i think there there is still a significant gap hari mm. i think when it comes to research in ai just the number of phd's we create and the quality of those phd's that we create i think we lack significantly significantly behind us china and many other countries sir mm. i also think that the connect between academics and industry in india is actually still much much weaker than what is true for the american universities yeah of course and therefore to your point i do agree that that's an area where there's still significant strides to be made what is true however is that see a lot of companies get created not purely on just the bleeding edge research a lot of these are applications but if you look at for example graduates from top colleges in india whether it's iits bits Uh, many other many of the nits mm. i find the quality of people coming out to be very strong today mm. and that makes me very bullish on the kinds of saas companies which will get created mm. all right if sort of a standard question i mean if you look at uh, the time beyond uh, when the current slowdown probably will end and you know things might turn to faster accelerated growth again to your mind uh, again in the context of uh, the indian saas companies uh, what are some of the biggest opportunities now to take advantage of during this slowdown and then what are their biggest challenges a great question i think first of all hari this will be a tough time for many companies nobody i think it's very hard to predict the shape of any down cycle i think it will be tough time for many founders purely because last couple of years we have seen massive amounts of funding coming in mm. what has consequently happened is that the burn profile of most companies have actually also uh, inched up quite uh, quite significantly as well and most people will be forced to relook into their cost structures and rethink their burn and i think that will be a painful process i think those who decide to do this sooner rather than later i think will be in better shape but i think that will be an that that will certainly be an imperative for many saas companies and i i actually think of it as an opportunity in general i feel that building anything there is a process uh, there is a period of expansion there is a period of consolidation and these these two processes tend to alternate sort of from time to time we have seen an expansion time 
but I think we'll see a lot of consolidation time as well uh, during this period. Mm-hmm. So that's one. I think the second opportunity is that particularly those companies that do have cash in the bank will actually find it easier to attract high quality talent. So if if it, I can certainly speak for our portfolio, but I'm sure I'm speaking for all the startups in general. Every CEO in our portfolio in the last 18 months, if you ask them what is their single biggest challenge, it's actually hiring and retaining talent. Okay. It was so difficult to get right kind of people on board. Uh, and also the costs had shot up significantly. I feel that this is probably the best time to hire some of the best people mm. as well. So at least I think from a talent perspective, I see that as a significant opportunity. I also think that those companies which are in early stage, mm. they actually will operate in a less noisy environment over the next 18 to 24 months. Because one of the challenges in the startup world in the last two years has been that you're constantly worrying about who else is coming from my back. Mm. And if you're an early stage company where you're trying to build a product and trying to establish product market fit, actually the broader market environment does not matter to you. Mm. I think this time, this period will give them the time to be able to focus on what they need to focus and not be worried about the noise in the market as well. Mm. Mm. All right. Um, In the context of what we've been talking about, anything that you want to specifically uh, highlight uh, look, uh, that I didn't ask you about or just didn't know about? I think uh, two other uh, things that come to my mind as we, one and one comment on the past and one comment on the future actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the past, I'll say that when I started investing in SaaS about 10 years back, SaaS was not the space where I would say the best entrepreneurs were getting attracted to at that point. Mm. It was very unproven whether where, that from India you can build companies that will conquer global markets. Mm. Um, I think in the last two years, the good news is that that product market fit or that proof has come around that proper scale companies from India can be built. And now we see so many companies which are, let's say, beyond 100 million ARR mm. companies today. Mm. Right? Um, a lot of unicorns have been created from India in the SaaS space. There is a very significant investor interest in late stage and frankly, even at early stage from global investors today. Mm. I think all of that has spelled sort of great opportunity uh, for Indian SaaS companies. What has also been proven is that at one point, India was being thought of as a market for creating Me Too companies, mm-hmm. targeting uh, small and medium-sized enterprises with remote sales with cost advantage from India. Mm-hmm. I think we have seen now all kinds of companies come from India. Small enterprises, large enterprises. Uh, US uh, ge- uh, geography, India and Southeast Asia geography. Uh, sales-led growth, product-led growth. Uh, application companies, infra companies. So there is no longer one unique recipe of building a company from India. I think we are seeing all different kinds of SaaS companies being created, but I think that's the progress we have seen in the last 10 years. Mm. The one other comment I have on the future is that I think we are going to see a lot of m activity probably in about six months time, in my opinion. Okay. Mm. Uh, and the reason I say six months time is because while I know that the public markets have adjusted quite rapidly, uh, but what will happen is that as people completely reset their expectation for valuations, remember that the large companies are still sitting on a pile of cash. Yeah. Microsoft, I think, has about $106 billion of cash mm. today. Salesforce has $13, $14 billion. SAP has another $10, $12 billion. Adobe has $6 billion of cash. And they're generating more and more cash as well every year. As valuations in the market have come down, I think this will be a very attractive time for many of these folks to be doing M&A 
So I expect that in six months' time, we are actually going to see um, we are going to see a lot of deals happen uh, in this market, and most of them will be for cash and not in equity at this point. All right, very nice, uh, insightful, interesting conversation, uh, Lok. Thank you again so much for making time for this, and definitely hope to keep the conversation going. No, thank you uh, so much, Hari, uh, for the conversation today, and um, um, I look forward to hearing sort of what comes out. That's it for this conversation. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.